difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a Movie of the Week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Scott Tobias, here again with... Keith Phipps. And Genevieve Kosky. On last week's episode, we discussed Moulin Rouge, Baz Luhrmann's hit 2001 musical about life and love in the turn-of-the-century French cabaret. Now, Luhrmann has returned to the movie musical with Elvis, a biopic with a lot more fidelity to history but plenty of his anachronistic touches too. Elvis covers the entire scope of the singer's bumpy career, from his boyhood in Tupelo, Mississippi, to his sudden death in his Graceland home in 1977. Much of the story is told through the perspective of longtime manager Colonel Tom Parker, who helped discover Elvis and made him not only a musical superstar, but a lucrative brand for merchandise, TV specials, and major motion pictures. As played by Tom Hanks, Parker is seen as a brilliant entrepreneur whose shady tactics exact a serious cost on Elvis's career and well-being. At the same time, Lerman underlines how electric Elvis was as a performer and pop phenomenon, as well as the uncomfortable questions his popularity raised about the appropriation of black music for a white audience. He's played by Austin Butler, a former child star who's worked consistently since the mid-aughts, but never on this scale before. We'll talk about the movie and Butler's potentially star-making performance after the break. You're looking for trouble? You came to the right place. You're looking for trouble? You look right in my face. He had no idea what he had done. You! to promote you, Mr. Presley. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about my war. Who the hell is there? Elvis Presley. You don't do the business, the business will do you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Sing the music that I want. Well, since my baby left me, they're gonna put me in jail. The way you sing is God given. So there can't be nothing wrong with it. What is wrong for my money? If you don't listen to me, you will fall the show. All that your mama I sacrificed for you would be for nothing. Trust me. Talk about the new Elvis. Those people ain't gonna change me none. All right, so what did uh, everyone think of Elvis? I, I kind of have a sense of what Keith thought of it because I, I've read his review <laughs> of the film that is up on the reveal, the reveal.substack.com. Uh, Genevieve, what did you, you just <laughs> saw it. Uh, what did you think of Elvis? Yeah, I am. I am less than two hours out from my my first viewing of of, of Elvis, so I'm I'm definitely still marinating it. But I 
definitely like came out of the theater feeling very positive on it like while recognizing that there are absolutely a lot of elements that are not going to work for people some of which did not wholly work for me tom hanks is not quite at the level of uh, of john leguizamo in moulin rouge for scott here but it was not definitely far from my favorite tom hanks performance but yeah. even with that like i was vibing with this movie so hard and like every time it started to drag a little or feel like a little conventional or Elvis has to think about every moment of his life before he goes on stage, like uh-huh. something, you know, there'd be some Lermony sequence that just like drew me right back in, um, right up until the end. I actually loved the way this film ended, even though it was like a bit of a cliche. It was a, a Lerman twist on a cliche that I thought landed really well for me. I have avoided reviews <laughs> of, of, of this movie. I've kind of avoided reading anything about it. As far as the anachronisms go, like even with my fairly rudimentary knowledge of the of the Elvis story, I can see where there are a lot of liberties being taken, even just beyond the music. The anachronism of the music doesn't bother me at all. I think, as with Moulin Rouge, it absolutely makes sense with the the point the film is trying to make about Elvis. But yeah, it has so many of those great Lurmini sequences that just kind of put a spell on me uh, over and over again. So yeah, I'm feeling really good about Elvis and I'm waiting for the two of you to trash it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't trash it. I wish I, I wish I had that same experience as, as mm-hmm. you. I, I respect a lot of what this film's trying to do. I kind of came away from like wondering why I didn't feel more powerfully one way or the other about a mm-hmm. Baz Luhrmann Elvis biopic. You know, I do like the Lermanness of it, I like, especially early on. I think, though, in some ways, it's a lot more of a conventional biopic than it seems to be. Like, there's there's like this... The third act the fr- d- d- is, is very conventional, or much more conventional. Third, yeah, third act, but also just kind of like, just let's hit the highlight approach to it is, is I think there's a lot of nice Lerman frosting on it, but you scrape it away. I'm not sure there's as much there. I, I don't know that it has that much to say about Elvis, uh, frankly. I think, you know, putting like the conflict with Parker, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, Colonel, quote unquote, Tom, quote unquote, Parker, quote unquote, uh, at the center was is interesting, could have been a more interesting framing device, but I'm not sure it had that much to say about that relationship other than, than you know, don't mm-hmm. don't go with a bad manager. You know, it's, if someone looks like a sleazy carny who's going to rip you off, they probably are. I don't know. Uh, I, I was mixed on it. It's one of those films where I feel like a repeat viewing might might sway me more one way or the other. There's certainly a lot there. Well, he doesn't do interiority. That's not really that's not really a Baz Luhrmann quality. And so, and so, as far as trying to kind of understand the souls of Colonel Tom Parker and and, and Elvis Presley, I don't think you necessarily get there. Um, yeah, but I think kinda, I think Butler does convey that. No, I, mean, though. Yeah, I, I really he's got like quality, that and there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to hit on with that performance, which is really outstanding. But I, you know, I think I'm probably a little bit in between the two of you. I would say. I mean, I would sort of be, would describe my reaction as. Uh, uh, mixed to positive, I, it is dogged by the conventions of the biopic, and, and there are plenty of walk hard moments in, in the film where I'm just like, okay, all right. <laughs> There's like one where he's introduced to pills, and it's like, 
Dewey. <laughs> I, I was looking at Tim, Tim Meadows, and it's like warning Dewey not to uh, have any part of this stuff. But I think it kind of, one of the things that it does, I'm glad that we have Keith on because Keith is somebody who knows something about Elvis. I, I'm not terribly knowledgeable other than, you know, you know, I mean, I've heard some Elvis songs, of course, but, I'm, but I, I don't know much about his life and work and, you know, at any depth. And, and I think that is an experience that, that is shared by a lot of modern audiences. And I think it's something that the film is trying to address specifically. I think that's kind of the thrust of the film, which is which is like, let us remind you that Elvis was dynamic and exciting and dangerous and was really earth shaking. You know, you know, and, and there wasn't there isn't this sort of like, you know, tacky, you know, mausoleum, you know, mausoleum kitsch quality to Elvis Presley that there was the, this other side too, this spark that. Lerman is really devoted to capturing it and really the entire arc of the film is is that tension between who Elvis is who it was who Elvis was trying to be you know how he he kind of you know initially sort of moved could really electrify an, an audience and then and then what those other market forces that were sort of you know in in, in forces within his, his own camp particularly Parker who were kind of pulling him in a different direction and kind of quite literally putting him him in ill-fitting clothes you know I, I think that's a kind of a strong through line for the the movie even though the movie doesn't desperately needs a more disciplined through line because it is you know you're kind of a close really close to a cradle to grave type of approach to a biopic which i which i almost never like i mean i think it does have a th- through line it just picks the wrong one to be its framing like the colonel parker thing is like like choosing that to be the framing is weird to me because the big idea that the movie seems to want to get across is like what's you know put on screen at the very end like elvis changed music forever and he did it by bringing black music to white audiences and the question of appropriation has dogged elvis for ever you know you know like even if you appreciated him you kind of had to do so with this knowledge that like he became the biggest musical star in the world by playing music that black artists played sometimes in, in poverty to no to no greater notice you know and the movie is especially in the first couple of acts, you know, really makes a point of that over and over again, both in the characters we see. I mean, we see Sister Rosetta Tharp, Mahalia Jackson, Big Mama Thornton, B.B. King. Well, B.B. King was obviously a big star then, but, uh, you know, a, a young Lil Richard. But specifically, the fact that, like, Rosetta Tharp is, like, a fairly major character in the in the early going, I feel like that's part of the audaciousness of this movie, that it is weaving in that criticism of Elvis and, like, examining it and incorporating it into his character and it feels so separate from the colonel parker stuff and i feel like the third act when we're in vegas is what gets farthest away from that idea is when we are farthest away from that idea and it does become like pills and vegas and money and you know this more kind of standard biopic stuff and it it loses the thread a little bit although it does like pick it up like when we hear about mahalia jackson dying and his reaction to that and you know there's like glimpses of it in the vegas years but you know it seems like the whole idea is that during the vegas years he drifted farther and farther away from the music that made him happy 
Yeah, I, I think the movie does handles that really well, and, and the, the issue of of appropriation is really tricky. And as you said, it's been with Elvis from the beginning. But I think it makes clear, and, and the eulogy provided by uh, Jimmy Carter in archival <laughs> footage at the end kind of sums it up. It's not that Elvis was playing black music and just taking the whole style and playing it. It was he was merging uh, R and B and country. It's a it's a new sound. And and yes, you know, the idea that this white person experiences unprecedented success on on that level from the people who t- he took inspiration from is is it's not a great thing, but it also it's opening the you know his success opened the door for a lot of other artists to cross over. Was it enough artists? Was, was the, you know did it knock down some walls of segregation that uh, you know as many walls of segregation as it should have? Absolutely not. But but I, I think the film definitely deals with the complications of that. I, I, I in some some really good ways. And and you know Elvis respected the music. You know that was yeah. that was <laughs> never it was never an Elvis issue. Yeah, that's an important point. I think the movie does under line as well as is uh his interest in just general comfort level in that in that world mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and um you know the way he comes about his interest and excitement over music in a in a pretty organic way it was just part of his life it was the things he saw and ex- experienced through a fairly humble you know upbringing one larger question I wanted to ask you, Keith, is, is is that I wonder if knowing more about Elvis is a negative here. Like 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 you said that this is kind of a, you know, hits a lot of the highlights, hits a lot of things that you expect. You know, I think if you if you don't necessarily know that the Elvis biography, if you don't if you don't have that kind of even Wikipedia-ish understanding of like what one event led to another event it can seem more surprising but to you it felt a little bit stale no it's yeah that might have been unfair criticism to because it is some you know i do know this material more than most young people my age 49 um but it, <laughs> you know, it, is, it is a story that is less familiar to gen x and on it in some ways so perhaps that is a little unfair as as it is an intro to Elvis, you know, it does hit a lot of points that are that are important. And you know, we can get into historical accuracy, and there are some some real eye rollers in, in the things this film does. But it's not the wild departure from fact that that you perhaps might expect, especially you know, given Lerman's free approach to history and <laughs> Moulin Rouge. Give me, give me an eye roller, man. Give me, give me some yeah. eye rollers. I, you know, okay. Here, the, the the whole the long taping of the '68 comeback special. It, it's it's true to the spirit of what happened, but the idea that they would just spring this sudden change on the Christmas special on Colonel Tom Parker at the last moment while he yells about uh, here comes Santa Claus in, in the in the <laughs> control booth is uh, is a very it's very silly. Uh, you know, there the, I mean, there's that. I, I don't know that you know maybe someone correct me on this, but I don't know that there are actual protests from fans who are upset that the Elvis wore a tuxedo on the Steve Allen show when he returned to Memphis <laughs> after that. I, I, I have a feeling that that is as an invention of the film. Uh, but, you know, Did I he mean, sing they, to the dog, though? Yeah, that's absolutely true. That, yeah. You know, it was Steve Allen trying to humiliate uh, the young rock and roll star on, on television. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, some of the things that you might expect are are, are fabricated or, or not. The, the other thing, of course, is the idea that somehow Tom Parker arranged for Elvis to be drafted into the army. It's like, you know, I don't know that he had that 
kind of power. Um, I'll only put it another <laughs> way. I know he did not. <laughs> At that point in time, though, like, would Elvis have been able to avoid the draft based on just being a star and there not being an active war happening? I believe he had the option to go into USO and he chose chose not to. But okay. uh, but no, I mean, I think the, the, the draft was the was was fairly mm-hmm. unavoidable at that point. That's something else that, that Gen X uh, um, uh, <laughs> doesn't have any memory of. Yeah, the draft. <laughs> no, <laughs> we do. We do not uh, have a memory of the draft. What was the, you know, I, I will say on a performance level, I can't think of a performance that's been as as ruinous to a movie <laughs> as, Tom, as Tom Hanks in this one. I just think, I, and I've seen him do perversely one of my favorite Tom Hanks performances is his work in, in The Lady Killers, which has kind of had, has this kind of broad kind of foghorn leghorn slash mm-hmm. Colonel Sanders equality that I think is really infectious. But I just think w- between the prosthetics here and the accent which is just so unplaceable it's not even unplaceable in a way that the film intends because there's kind of like that you know it's both you know southern european fusion i just think i think it's one of those and then every just, once in a while you just hear tom hanks as tom hanks too as well right it's just all it's all over the place and it's just, it just seems to be like one screen test should have just resolved the whole thing it should have been you know what this isn't working I guess maybe you need Tom and maybe you need Tom Hanks because you don't you don't have a star as Elvis you need somebody that we know a big movie star to kind of get the thing made because I, I, I really think just there's just no way it, way you would think like this is the best guy to play this role because it really he's just it's so off and it really hurts it really does damage the movie because i think you know that colonel tom pocket is a very he's a fascinating guy very uh you know sinister but but also um full of interesting layers and mystery and all all that stuff is flattened out uh by that performance i can't even get too mad at it though because i think he's he's fulfilling the the assignment as best he is as best he can in some ways you know i i uh, I try to think, you know, who you cast instead, but you know, I guess that's kind of a, kind of a fool's game. But it's not a natural fit, I guess is the way to put it. Who do you cast instead? I'm sure that I could come up with names. I, maybe not off this on the spot, but there's got to be there's got to be some other people. But uh, Austin Butler, <laughs> yes, Austin, Austin yes. Butler. I'm, I'm, I was, it, it was. He's just. He's just Elvis in this movie too. I mean, you know, he's got the mannerisms and he's got the voice, but it's not an impersonation. It really does feel like a natural interpretation of of Elvis as a character. I really, really uh, uh, like this performance a lot. On stage and off, did you? Because I, I always felt like the on stage stuff was was what really worked in that performance. And I, and I, maybe that's just a, that's maybe that's just an issue with the dramatic scenes of the movie generally, which are fi- fine. And he's he's good. He's good throughout the movie. But I but I think the the performances in the film are both where the film and where Butler shines the most. I think he gets that Elvis politeness that was always such a so so, so notable. I mean, he's wild on stage and just like a, a yes sir, yes ma'am guy off stage. I, I think I and I, I think he he captures that really well. I actually really loved the scene between him and Tom Hanks as Colonel Parker on the Ferris wheel at the beginning, where basically he's telling him how he's gonna gonna change his life and to talk about buying you know. Cadillacs and planes and rockets, you know, and it's just has that, you know, sort of that politeness and that deferentialness that you're that you're talking about, but also just like 
the excitement and the the charisma and it's just it's, it feels like it's all right there and you, it really feels you can feel that he feels that they both feel that like they're on the cusp of something big in that moment i really liked that scene i mean again keith i'm i turn to you as the elvis person here i mean does the mission of the film excite you to some degree i mean just the idea of like why are we overlooking elvis why why does he seem like somebody that only people over 70 are into you know why, why aren't we kind of like celebrating him more as being you know this phenomenon i mean does the film kind of get any of that for you and yeah, it, it almost feels like an attempt to do that. I mean, there's a lot of cooperation with Elvis Presley Enterprises in, in the making of this film. There's, there's a fairly chilling article in Rolling Stone a couple of years ago about uh, attempts to make Elvis relevant and like, you know, possibly do, do, do we do an animated show about Elvis? You know, that, that kind of, <laughs> kind of do thing. Do it the Colonel and, Parker way. And this is in some ways a warts and all it's warts up and all up to a point, you know, we, we certainly see the drug addiction and some of the womanizing, but it almost feels like is also very much something you can sell on Blu-ray at, at Graceland and, and not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not, not feel too bad about it. If, if you're the Elvis estate, uh, plus there's, you know, it's obviously all the cooperation with the music and the, and the likenesses and mm-hmm. all that too. I mean, there, there is Lisa Marie you know, there, praised it quite effusively. Oh, I'm, I, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And there's, but I mean, there's, there is another reason to push a big film like that if you're the Elvis Presley estate, which is to keep, sorry, to keep the brand, make a brand <laughs> deposit, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, in some ways. But I think, you know, our, our friend Will Leach had an article up this week because nobody cares about Elvis anymore, which, which he just attributed to the inevitable passing of time you know no one will care about taylor swift eventually either i think that's a little unfair you know i i think there are some figures that that are you know bigger than just yeah. are we not gonna swift care about prince we'll care about prince yeah exactly you know exactly. what i mean and then you can like follow the, this logic uh, yeah, and, and there are plenty of people that, that are not no longer with us who are will still be a thing i mean that, all this is a that's sad specific you, case, know, fact, you know the you know that i think people our age know the hit know the hits and perhaps not that much more and not necessarily know the story. So I, I you know, I, th- I think as a, as a Elvis 101, I, I think it's a it, it, task it sets off to do and it does fairly well. And, and, you know, the anachronistic approach to the music, I think it's fine. You know, I mean, it's, it's what, it's what Lerman does. You know, you know, you get the Louisiana Hayride performance and then you get this, you know, screeching electric guitar with, uh, around it. I don't think it's, he's really trying I don't think the film at this point is is trying to like we got to we got to gussy up this old song with some new sounds. I think it's more like this is you know drawing a line between this wild rock and roll performance and and the hard rock and metal that it would be inspired by it eventually. Well, in the in the Memphis scenes, you know, we have we have hip hop too, you know, right, and right. it is sort of like establishing this continuum that Elvis's music kind of exists both separate from but also within like there, there's like a, an, e- an uneasy relationship i guess and i just you know the the film is maybe a little kind in its reflections on the whole of, of appropriation thing of course you know again this is uh, approved by by the estate like it was not going to necessarily go too critical or hard on it but just like the fact that it engages with it to the extent that it does on both a narrative and a stylistic level i think is is definitely noteworthy and as far as like 
do modern audiences, you know, still care about Elvis or, or will they? I think there's also just the, the factor of how his career ended, you know, like it, he didn't have a good end you know we we get some news snippets of you know him being called like a fat loser essentially at at the end of his life and you know kind of being perceived as just hanging on for dear life in this you know vegas residency and you know compared to something like the beatles who who get sort of re-embraced regularly every decade you know by um who also you know release some sort of big project every every decade or so get back being being the most recent but there was what like love before that and beatles anthology before that like beatles also get like revived pop culturally on a fairly regular basis but the beatles didn't really have this languishing period that defined the end of elvis's career and i think that maybe just sort of has stuck with us in the pop cultural mentality even if we don't like you know fully care i guess about about elvis and and how his career ended like i think we still like kind of like internalized that like by the end of his career it was sad (laughs) you know um so that maybe makes it a little less exciting to revisit that's a really good point like if you're a beatles fan you can say i love the every phase of the beatles you know you can you can there's perhaps you love some songs more than others and so on and so forth but but it's if you're an Elvis fan, it's hard to say. I love the Sun Sessions, and I love the movie Roused About, and, <laughs> and, yeah. and I love the 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 sad final concerts where he's barely moving around on stage. You know, I mean, and he did. You know, he ended his life. You know, there's sadness, but also, you know, he became a punchline before and after death. Became kind of a kitsch icon, and and the way he was, you know, his image was appropriated and. You know the '80s, you know, decade full of tabloid stories about Elvis was secretly alive and all that. It, it, it's it's it is it's there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. And I think a, a key point that the movie makes, and this is kind of where the, the Beatles might fit in, is like you know the Beatles steered the ship. You know, I mean they they they, they became who they became, and and they 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 uh, eventually burnt out. But they had they had all these different phases, and and, and they were in charge of their artistic development and they made they made a lot of strong choices and and um you know both individually and as a collective i i think one of the things the film this film is trying to to underline is that you know given his druthers elvis has a different outcome than what <laughs> what ends up happening that, that, that his instincts musically stuff that excites him as as a artist and as a performer you know you're know, outside of the sort of box that he was put in and that that eventually you know suffocated him and uh and it's and it's it's so much the project of the of the movie to kind of get people to kind of rethink their assumptions i mean about about him i mean he i think to a lot of people he could be the guy singing hound dog to the dog you know i mean he could be that guy the guy sort of wasting away in the vegas residency and taking pills and all that other stuff yeah you know, what we don't remember in what the film is seeking to remind us is that he was the beatles before the beatles that he had that electric quality that that he that he sort of you know had that energy with fans with uh, um with with young people that you know was alarming and uh culturally d- dynamic and 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 that was him and that was that was you know that was those were his instincts and his artistry that kind of made all of that happen 
That's why I really love the ending of this movie where we see real Elvis singing Unchained Melody and what we're told is his last performance. I I don't know if it actually was, but it, it was certainly, you know, during this period of having lost any sort of like respectability, but seeing him sing, just like watching it in full, I in like it is definitely a biopic cliche to like end with footage of the actual mm-hmm. person. I get that. Um, and, and I get the instinct to like roll your eyes, but I think like, like look at the material, <laughs> you know, like I think it, it really works at that moment in the film and makes you, you feel the, the tragedy of this, of this loss uh, just in, in his voice, you know, in his kind of just natural charisma even at this point where as we're told he can he can barely stand anymore so i think just in terms of like legacy it was important that like the only real elvis footage we see is of him at that point i'm really glad like there was that they didn't put austin butler in a fat suit (laughs) like they uh (laughs) yeah they, they took it easy on the whole fat elvis thing yeah yeah did that part not work for you guys? Am I am I alone here? Oh no, yeah, I, I like that too. I, I I thought it was it was a good Lermany approach to what could have other you know what could have felt like a cliched thing. And and yeah, I, I actually you know I thought that, that was uh, it felt kind of right to see the real Elvis af- after after the at the end of that film at the end of that very long film though I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, we want to talk about lots of Lermany things, uh, Lermany approaches to history and to music. But to, to do that, we want to also kind of bring in Moulin Rouge. So uh, we're going to be back with Connections. Come on, you got to get on in. They've already announced you on the radio. Come on, let's go. He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome to a Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Well, you may go to college. You may go to school. You may have a pink Cadillac, but don't you make Now it's time for Connections, when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. So, yeah, Moulin Rouge and Elvis, you know, their fidelity to history, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they're trying to capture the spirit of the, of the times. They're, they're doing so a little bit through anachronism. So, uh, you know, so I wanted, uh, Keith, you wanted to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it it is the anachronism. Anachronisms in Moulin Rouge are, are front and center, and part of the point of the of the film to hear all this twentieth century music at the at turn of the nineteenth into the twentieth century. Uh, I think that's probably one of the cool things about it. With Elvis, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think it's in some ways it's similar. It wants to both touch on the influences to Elvis's music, but also look ahead to where his music and those other forms, those that type of music would 
go and, and the directions they would go, whether, whether it's metal guitars or, uh, you know, adding a hip hop verse to Hound Dog. And I think in both cases, it's Lerman using anachronisms to expand the frame of the films where let's, let's not just talk about this moment in history. Let's talk about how this moment fits into history and, and influences history. And, you know, I have my, my issues with, with Elvis and, uh, but, uh, but I, I think that is one of the better uh, touches in it. Yeah. Both of these films are kind of looking backwards and forwards at the same time and in doing so kind of situate the present moment just on a, a spectrum of history where like the events of the present moment aren't what matters as much as what led us here and where we go from there on a cultural level like like moulin rouge is drawing from greek myth and romeo and juliet in its narrative you know and, it, and it's looking forward to 20th even 21st century uh at that point pop pop music and Elvis, you know, is very much looking at both the influences of Elvis and those that he influenced. I appreciate that Lerman isn't precious about history, you know, and he does. There is really no single definitive historical record. And, you know, it's very much based on the, the you know, the eyes through which you're observing it. And I think that the you know, the forward and backward looking simultaneously kind of acknowledge that it's it's not about what is what definitively happened in that moment. It's how we got there and where we went from there. Is there a suggestion in Elvis, though, about when you see, say, Elvis sort of pulling up into the streets of Memphis and the music that you're hearing, you know, on the soundtrack is hip hop. I mean, what, what associations are you supposed to be making there? I mean, is, is, you know, is it Memphis itself and that, that scene that is, that is prompting this soundtrack or, or is it Elvis himself? And is the film kind of stretching a little bit to, to, to in terms of asserting, you know, a, a, or suggesting any kind of influence that, that Elvis might've had on the future of music? I mean, I think it's alluding to something that gets, underlined very heavily in one of the closing credit songs by Eminem and CeeLo. Did either of you uh, <laughs> stick around, uh, can, can stick around for, for, for that one? No? no. Okay. Oh, I mean, wow. yeah, you can definitely draw correlations between Eminem and Elvis in terms of white men operating in, in black <laughs> musical spaces and becoming superstars for them. And I think that is very clearly what is being evoked here. But I don't think those Memphis scenes are necessarily, I think they're, they're a trying to surprise you or though that music cue is, is trying to surprise you because like throughout both of these films, there are so many moments designed to kind of make you sit up and ask like what's going on here and even throw you off like to go back to Moulin Rouge the hills are alive <laughs> you know is kind of similarly like you know it throws you in, a, in kind of a similar way while being a completely different type of, of, of music cue and I think just you know having those hip-hop cues specifically in Memphis and in the scenes where Elvis is navigating black musical spaces specifically is underlining that sort of the forward looking part of the forward backward uh, approach I was mentioning. And also, I mean, just in some ways, it's, it is about Memphis. I mean, it is about Memphis being the source for so much of what would, what would come out. I mean, so much of what musically came before fed into Memphis and so much of what came after came out of Memphis too. So I, I think there's that connection it's making as well. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think it's not entirely Elvis. It's just, it's kind of really you know asserting this place is is in its importance in in uh, you know the the overall scope and development of music. Yeah, one of the things that's of course fascinating about about that about that scene and about Elvis coming out of that scene is the commercialization of that music of him him being able to break through and and, and of the the tensions that he experiences between art and commerce which is such an important theme in both movies maybe a central theme in both movies because you know in in Moulin Rouge you have Christian and uh, Toulouse Lautrec and the Bohemians uh who are look to this site as an inspiration and a platform for their artistic ambitions but it also needs to keep the lights on that's what Ziedler is there for it needs you know you need to make this deal with the, the devil in the form of of the duke in order to exist and to expand and to be this thriving enterprise how do you do those things without compromise and and, and of course elvis is it takes that to a pretty big extreme in the relationship that's central to the movie with between Elvis and Colonel Tom Parker, where, you know, I, I think, you know, Elvis allows, uh, you know, has, has an impulse to uh, perform a certain way. And it's, it's Parker's job to, he, he believes to, to sell him, you know, not in a way that's always tactful or, or, or smart or really seizing upon what, what the essence of Elvis is, or maybe just kind of trying to put him in a, a certain box that's going, going to sell as many, you know, games and trinkets and, and, uh, records and, you know, tacky movies as, as, as possible. Um, and so, so this, that, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate that world is something that all artists have to do if they're going to work on a scale, you know, and, and, and Lerman himself is working on that scale. Lerman is, is, is coming to Hollywood and he's having to make choices and put things in his, his movie and try to do something that's going to be commercially viable. And, uh, and so those are all at play in, in, uh, in, in, in both of these movies. I'd be curious to hear what compromises Baz Luhrmann thinks he has has had to make <laughs> in his films because they don't they don't they don't strike me one, they don't, I I, I, I don't know like like they don't strike me as I mean uh, just to, to appeal to the estate I mean you know there's a sure. there's a lot I mean I think yeah. the all the Priscilla stuff could I mean you could definitely have a different a different angle on that story than mm. than the film film takes there's like a the lot of she things. was really really young when they when they met yeah, exactly yeah. I mean yeah, I mean there's there are um, there are a lot of estate friendly elements to that's this fair. movie. You could tell the story differently in a way that's you know that wouldn't necessarily be a state approved. And so I think I think in that sense that you know there certainly was some compromise going on. And, and he's got to figure. I have out, to imagine also the Lerman you know archives are filled with movie ideas that didn't go. <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, the the probably wilder wilder ones than we actually got. Very fair. I have a sort of uh, fact-checky type question for Keith that, that is related. Uh, did Colonel Tom Parker actually invent merchandise? <laughs> seems, that seems perhaps a little bit of an exaggeration on the part of this film. <laughs> the word merchandise yeah, it I mean, did not I mean, exist I, in the voc- yeah. anyone's vocabulary before. Yeah. I mean, I definitely believe that he would take credit for inventing it. Sure. But... <laughs> I like Elvis. I love Elvis, and I hate Elvis buttons. Really, yeah. really covered all the bases there. <laughs> when he goes on about merchandising too, and with the prosthetics, I, I cannot not think about Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs, but this <laughs> baby on me more than on the film. 
that is that's not good for this film, Keith. It's not <laughs> not, like not not really not really what Hanks would want anyone saying about him on Oscar night. <laughs> <laughs> that uh his performance is pizza the hut esque um, reminiscent of pizza the hut <laughs> yeah uh, but i mean it, you know i mean it is if you look at it from kind of that meta angle i mean it is i mean this is an unusual film to be coming out in, in 2022 in the summer of 2022 just as just as unusual or if not more so than moulin rouge i mean it's a biopic and i guess biopics have been have proven themselves to be successful here and here and there but elvis is is a, is a tough one and the task to try to make him to revive him to make him something that younger audiences could engage with but it's a kind of a huge leap and you know it's one that uh, you know i don't know if i don't know if uh lerman really needed to make not many compromises other than the compromises of the estate to make that happen uh, i think you just have to trust that he you know he's got to be plugged into the zeitgeist a, a, a little bit and, and that he's got a style that uh is eye-grabbing and younger viewers might engage with but this is not you know the 30th movie in a in the marvel cinematic universe this is not you know a sequel or a reboot or anything like that this is this is a kind of a curveball for the middle of summer I mean, there's also the the Austin Butler factor. I mean, he is a, a very good looking actor who a lot of younger audiences have nostalgic associations with. And I am reminded of Leonardo DiCaprio and Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet in what was that, 96, 97, something like that? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, Shakespeare is old news when Romeo and Juliet came out, and look at that. Exactly, exactly. So, so never <laughs> underestimate the, the power of an of a attractive, charismatic uh, young man in a, filmed yeah. by Baz Luhrmann. Shakespeare was old news. Well, I, I think I don't think he was old news to people ha- who had a had a read Romeo and Juliet in high school, like everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think that's uh, yeah. But that that movie certainly goes as hard as it can to make to engage with the <laughs> with the youngs. Uh, <laughs> no, no question about it. So another connection I want to talk about is something we've discussed a lot in relationship to Elvis, but not really at all in Moulin Rouge, because it is less front and center there, but it is still very much there, which is the thin line between appropriation and and homage. As I said, we talked about it a lot with Elvis already. I don't know if we need to dwell on it there, but we did not discuss the Hindi Diamonds song in uh, in the whole spectacular, spectacular finale in Moulin Moulin Rouge, which is, I mean, and obviously the whole idea of Spectacular Spectacular is about the Maharaja and the sitar player, and it's, you know, drawing from Indian culture and music by, you know, a bunch of not Indian people. But I think sort of some important context to take into that is that Lerman has been very clear that he was you know, in thinking about Moulin Rouge, he was very inspired by Bollywood films and specifically Masala films, which my Bollywood knowledge is, is very limited. I've only seen a handful, but Masala films specifically are known for just incorporating a bunch of different genres uh, and being kind of just tonally all over the place. You know, you'll have an action scene and a tragedy and a romance and, a, you know, another action scene and a musical number. And it's 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 like Moulin Rouge, you know, and, and like the film is built as sort of an, an homage to those types of films. And the, the song that we hear in Spectacular, Spectacular, which is called Hindi Sad Diamonds on the soundtrack that samples a song from a Bollywood film 
uh, called Chinagate. So you can kindly call it an homage and you could less kindly call it blatant appropriation. <laughs> it's not really a criticism I've ever heard a lot of with Moulin Rouge. I'm curious if, if you guys have. And if so, if the if the context of Lerman's interest in Bollywood at the time changes it at all. I would say, you know, for some reason, maybe it's the Jim Broadbent thing, but but it kind of called to mind a little bit the uh, film Topsy Turvy, from, uh, which is about Gilbert and Sullivan and, and specifically the Mikado, and sort of kind of the exoticism that plays into the entire production. I mean, I, you know, there's a scene... You know the scene that inspires it is this is like a exhibit, like this weird <laughs> exhibit, a uh, cultural exhibit where an entire culture is sort of put on display in a in a, in a way that's uh, you know sort of flattens it. It's not uh, you know, and, and that kind of sort of the undergirding of the of the musical. And I and I feel like that kind of is what is happening within the movie itself of just like okay, we've got these elements that are that are in place. It just feels like something that would maybe plausibly be drawn upon that kind of exoticism in a place like uh, the Moulin Rouge for a performance like this. But I can also see where perhaps it would be um, an uncomfortable element, you know, if you really, when you really want to think about it a lot, I mean, the Mikado itself is, is, you know, hashtag problematic uh, <laughs> these days, which I, which I get. I mean, to me, the Mikado is almost more goof on the Victorian idea of what Japan was versus yeah. a, a send up of, of Japan in any, in any way, but that's probably a distinction without a difference for some people. And, and that's under, perfectly understandable. But I mean, you know, with, with, you know, with Moulin Rouge, it's just all that stuff's part of a mix of, of everything, but it also, it's not like you're getting a lot of Indian artists performing it either. It, it, it can, mm -hmm. it can look a little off, can't it? Well, as we're wrapping up here, I'd kind of like to do a just a, a Lerman style medley of a few other, uh, uh, you know, broad connections I, I spotted between these two films. First, just obviously, love. It's a story about love is like huge in, in Moulin Rouge. Like they like it's it has very broad kind of basic sentimental ideas about the power of love. And that's fine. I mean, it it, it, it makes sense with the film and the, the Bohemian thing and it. It's play, it plays very well. But Elvis made me think of it because of sort of the colonel's closing monologue, kind of like blaming Elvis's love of the fans and their love of him as his downfall, you mm -hmm. know, and, and it, it positions love as his undoing, which I, I found to be interesting, especially given that this film opens with a, a Baz Luhrmann production logo, which I have not seen before, but which includes truth, beauty, freedom, and love, uh, <laughs> like in, in the logo, a very Moulin Rougey type logo. So uh, it's, it's obviously like something that he, I mean... <laughs> It's like the most basic theme ever <laughs> in filmmaking, like love, you know, but it does strike me as notable that these two films take it on from almost opposite ends of the spectrum. But while still like considering it as something that has the power to fulfill and damage you in equal measure. You know, obviously it's coming from Colonel Tom Parker. So, you know, we're supposed to perhaps take it as, as bullshit because everything else he says, but I don't know if it's entirely presented as that in, in the film. And I don't know that it necessarily makes a, great 
case for the fans being Ellis's undoing. Am, am I am I wrong about that? I mean, it, it, that felt kind of. I mean, that's a legitimate way to look at the Elvis story, but but it also feels like kind of a out of nowhere addition to what the story was already telling. Yeah, it felt a little awkward because the the movie like repeatedly came back to the idea of like Elvis should do what he loves with his music. Colonel Tom Parker is like he keeps taking him away from mm-hmm. the kind of music that he loves. And so like to have the colonel be the one to like kind of flip that and turn it into like a source of blame, I think is maybe what is trying to be achieved there, but it is a little muddy. Uh, uh, love is all you need love lifts us up where we belong um, <laughs> <Love is> yeah <laughs> yeah it is it, it is that and it is just destructive when you when you uh when you're motivated by something other than that you know there's something pure and exciting about pursuing you know one's art- artistic ambition with without it being sort of shackled and, and the opposite of that can be it ends up being tragic So then another kind of connection I noticed was just in the framing and that these are both stories of stars, uh, dead stars being told by the people who who survived them. Christian is telling us the story of Satine and Colonel Tom Parker is telling us the story of of Elvis. Um, And they they both get the the first and last words of the film. Well, kind of. I mean, Elvis, uh, Elvis's performance is the the last word, I guess, of of Elvis. But, you know, in terms of the, the narrative framework. And, you know, again, it's sort of like, similar, but different, because, you know, Satine's story is being told by the person who loved her the most and Elvis's is being told by someone who you know probably did love Elvis in you know on some level but much more so for what he did for him <laughs> than, uh-huh. than anything else and both are presented right off the bat as as tragedies you know because we we know that this person is is going to die so they're both kind of operating from this framework of like a eulogy yeah and I, but I think just from a practical standpoint i don't i don't think that i think with will and Rouge, you kind of just need to establish right away that satine and making out of the movie <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. I, I just i think i think to kind of like just uh, you know uh, uh, allow this tragedy to kind of un- just unfold without that framing uh might make it a little more difficult for the audience to kind of accept I think when you start from that place of accepting it, that it uh, the movie becomes a little more palatable. Mm-hmm. But that may be back to an art, art and commerce question. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone going into Elvis knows that Elvis dies, right? I mean, that yeah, that much is we know, coming. We know about Elvis, <laughs> and we all die. We all do. Not just, not just, what? Not just, not just big, Elvis. Big, big if true. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. We we we've waited this. We've gone almost four hundred episodes without uh, <laughs> telling the, the real truth, which is that uh, we're all we're all, we're going to die, and all of our listeners as well at some point. But uh, anyway, subscribe <laughs> to our Patreon grim, if you grim, would. Uh, <laughs> what? Life uh, is short. Yeah. Subscribe to the Patreon. <laughs> Yolo. Yolo. That's actually a, a great little segue into the the last little mini connection I I wanted to note, which I think is probably a, a good way to. Wrap up, which is both of these films feature 
basically dying performances, dying final performances. Uh, Satine literally dies at the end of Spectacular, Spectacular. And uh, Elvis's performance, while not technically his his final performance, is, is certainly situated as sort of the i guess the last word on elvis's music as this as this film is is presenting it so it does definitely have that sort of um the curtains going down on on our star uh feeling in 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 both cases and but they also both get a final big glorious moment of of everything they have to offer and every reason they are a star Curtains yeah. down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Moulin Rouge is available for digital rental on the usual services. It can also be found on Blu-ray and DVD. Elvis is now in theaters for how long? Who knows? Hopefully the box office will be good enough to justify a little bit of a run. Uh, and we'll be back with uh, your next picture show. Finally, it's time to recommend a film or film-related item that complements this set of episodes. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. Keith, uh, you have one for us this week. I've got two for you this week, oh, Scott. Okay. Two, two. Um, I mean, just in general, also, I, I if if people are just coming to Elvis, I recommend you know dig past the, the overplayed hits. There's there's a lot of really good stuff there uh including you know i really the 68 comeback special gets touched on and you have to you can't touch on everything in this film but you know the the music you made immediately after that 69 and into 70 is it's really some of the best music he recorded you, you really get this idea of of elvis evolving into a, a more mature thoughtful uh you know reflective performer who was kind of owning being a grown up now instead of instead of being a, a, a teen uh, you know a teen idol, that's great stuff. But and from that period, there's a film called Elvis. That's the way it is, which is very early a concert slash documentary made very early in the Vegas phase when it was still kind of exciting and new. And he was playing some of that, playing his hits and playing some of the music I was just referring to. You see the, 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 the band and uh, the TCB band, the Sweet Inspirations, the Imperials, all of which are, are depicted in, in the film as well. And also some of that cool split screen effects that Lerman does in that period of the film are taken uh, from this movie. It's really worth your time to seek out. There's a longer cut too that I've never Scene. Uh, I should probably seek that out as well. But it's it's really quite dynamic. And the other thing is, if you want to, if you enjoyed this movie Elvis, or it made you curious, there is another film called Elvis, uh, directed by Master of Horror John Carpenter from 1979. <laughs> it was a TV movie, a highly successful TV movie he made uh, that aired, I believe, over two nights. And it stars Kurt Russell as Elvis. And it's really he does not sing, but he does perform and he's it's really quite good it was really one of the performances that allowed him to break with his child star past a child star past that included appearing in a film called it happened in the, at the world's fair with one elvis presley um it is uh it, it, there's some recognizable uh carpenter touches to it as well it, it, it is it is a lot more 1970s tv movie than than you might 
like at times and there's and there's very much the and this happened quality that that the dog is a lot of of biopics uh but it's really worth your time to seek out i believe it is i'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere there was a, a dvd and blu-ray put out a few years ago uh so i'd recommend both of those perhaps the 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 uh elvis that's the way it is a little bit more than elvis uh the john carpenter elvis biopic but they're both are very much worth your time What's the book to get uh, on Elvis? If you oh, there's two, uh, uh, Last Train to Memphis and Careless Love, both by Peter Goralnik. It's a two part biography that's really kind of the definitive biography of Elvis, best I can tell. Uh, they're they're and Goralnik's a great writer, so they're it's a, it's a really uh, thoroughly researched and well written uh, read that goes back to talk to a lot of the original people and 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 get get the facts straight and and untangle the 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 you know myth from legend uh, myth. No, you don't untangle myth from legend. You mix them together and take a uh, myth from fact nice all right well um that's it for this edition of the next picture show but we'll be back next week with a new pairing genevieve want to set us up for our episodes releasing on july 12th and 19th for our next pairing we'll be looking at two documentaries about strikingly different people who dedicated themselves to studying nature and paid for it with their lives First, we'll discuss Werner Herzog's 2005 film Grizzly Man, which explores the career and final days of self-styled preservationist Timothy Treadwell, who spent 13 summers living with bears in a remote corner of the Alaska wilderness while shooting extensive footage of his stays. Then we'll turn to Fire of Love, Sarah Dosa's new film about Katya and Maurice Kraft, married volcanologists and filmmakers whose studies took them perilously close to some of the most dangerous places on Earth. We hope you'll join us. For now, we welcome your feedback on Moulin Rouge, Elvis, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Genevieve? Uh, I am the TV editor at vulture.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Genevieve Kosky, and I'll be hosting a Moulin Rouge movie night in my dorm room uh, next Friday. <laughs> We're all invited. Do you have the, you have the two discs special edition? <laughs> no, no, I just got the single disc from Columbia House. I'm oh, sorry to say. I've got the nice one. I have the nice oh. one. Oh, well, then you're hosting. All okay. right, Keith, what about you? <laughs> Uh, I'm a freelance writer. You can follow me on Twitter at KFIPS3000, where I, I link to the various pieces I write at such places as GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, and TV Guide. And also, uh, I have a, uh, a substack with, with uh, what, what is his name again? Scott Tobias, uh, called The Reveal. It's at thereveal.substack.com. If you enjoy what we do here, you'll probably enjoy that as well. That's essays and reviews and all kinds of good stuff. Scott, am, uh, am I right? Is that, the, is, that the, is that the address? Yes, that's correct. That's right. The real.substack.com. Maybe you'll get it for free and then see if you like it. And if you want to support it, then uh, with a paid subscription, we'd appreciate that. Uh, join a very fine community. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias. And uh, you can find my uh, work in such publications as the New York Times, uh, Guardian, uh, The Ringer, Washington Post, and, and Vulture. Our absent co-host, uh, Tasha Robinson, is the film and streaming editor at Polygon. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at, at Tasha Robinson. Stay updated on the Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at nextpicturepod. Get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Baked Jakes for assistance producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. time.